Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Well, in the middle of this series called Hot Topics, where we're just kind of taking some of the questions and ministry issues that like just prevalent today in our lives, questions and conversations we're having and using that to, hey, let, let's just have a conversation and, and, and do that in today's uh, topic, especially if you're an Oklahoma State fan. Uh, today's the perfect day for you to be here because we're talking about mental health and our emotions because our team is very bipolar. You know what I'm saying? So, you're one of those people like, yeah, I'll just talk about football. It's called humor, okay? I get the, We use that to uh, share the gospel with people, right? Here we go. All right, so... Uh, I, I just personally want to say thank you from Jerry and I and our kids. Uh, thank you so much. I mean, I've celebrated 20 years of being here at um, what was Cornerstone now Hill Springs. Yes, I started when I was 12 years old. So just to get that out there. But uh, man, Wednesday night, many of you were here for uh, that celebration. It was so funny because I kept getting kicked out of meetings. Like we'd be meeting and they would be like, can, can you just give us a minute? I'm like, okay, so either there's a coup or I don't know what's going on. And Matt tried to keep that quiet. But here's a little secret about Matt. You can ask Cassie this. Brother can't keep a secret. Like, he can't. He just, so finally he called me one day. He had the weight of the world in his voice. And he's like, okay, so you're going to find out about this. But we want to have this big 20-year celebration. We're like, oh, man, that's, that's awesome. And so many of the great cards and hugs and sweet gifts. Thank you so much from our family. It really is an honor to get to be your pastor. Uh, Donna Moore, when she was here Sunday night, she said, and here's to another 20, <clears throat> y'all. I ain't got 20 in me, you know what I'm saying? And like the older I get, the more thin my filter becomes. So there's no scenario where a 70-year-old Brent Kellogg should have a microphone. That is not, that is, that is not a thing. You got your Bible, Matthew chapter 5, as we're in this series called Hot Topics. And today we do want to kind of just talk about our emotions. You know, it's pretty easy, I... I I had some kind of data and, and numbers kind of share with you just the mental health situation that's going on in America. And what, what's interesting is how COVID, the pandemic, escalated those numbers so much and, and somewhat even in many times kind of created a crisis because we had so many people that needed just some coaching or just some, someone to kind of speak through and, and help us through those emotions. But, but the healthcare providers just aren't there. Like there's a 350 to one ratio of people struggling with just dealing with their emotions and dealing with the mental health situation in America. And, and so today, I mean, that's, that's a big conversation of what we have. That's what our teenagers and, and a lot of folks are dealing with. So I thought, let's just go to God's word. That's what the point of this, this series is about, is let's, let's look at the Bible, let's get practical about how it can help some things that we're facing uh, just on a daily situation in our lives. Matthew chapter five is just the beginning of uh, Jesus' big sermon that he preached, his famous sermon called the Sermon on, on the Mount. And throughout Jesus' time teaching and throughout his ministry, he was trying to get his followers and the people who were following him to understand that, that heaven sees things differently than we do here in earth. There's an eternal perspective, there's a heavenly perspective that we cannot see with our eyes. This verse says, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so heaven sees things 
from a different perspective than, than we do. Like when we see pain, we resist it. We, we don't want to go through pain. Pain hurts. We kind of push against trials and, and struggles, and we, we don't. We would rather every day wake up with sunshine and unicorns and breakfast in bed, right? Like the easy life. But heaven sees things differently. That when we go through those trials, when we go through those pains, they can, don't always, but they can, if we'll let them, produce good things in our life. Pain will help you grow up. That's why we spank our kids when they're little. It just helps them grow up. Pain will help humble you. Us OSU fans, we're very humble today. <laughs> heaven sees struggles differently. So consequently, the heavenly perspective is going to feel opposite than our earthly perspective, meaning Jesus is going to say something and we're going to go, <laughs> say what? That don't make no sense. That seems backwards. Like even in this Sermon on the Mount, he's going he's gonna to list off some things that are blessed. And when you and I read them, we're going to go, blessed? What? Let me show you a few of them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Reading out of the New Living Translation, it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Some translations word that differently, but God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. That don't, that, that, that's, that's different. Like That don't make any sense. Heaven sees it differently than we do. Verse 4, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's important. Let's spend a lot of time kind of unpacking verse 4 a little bit. God blesses those who are humble. They will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Verse 7, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The New King James translation, which is kind of my second one that I go to, says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are they that mourn. Ever lost someone close to you? Like you find yourself with that breathtaking grief. Like it just the pain is so intense, you find it hard to breathe. That that does not feel blessed. But yet Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus would also say when he was with his disciples, wrapping things up, John chapter 14, verse 16, he says, Listen, it's better that I go. Because when I go back to heaven, God is going to send you a comforter. He was talking about the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. He's going to send you a comforter. So verse 4, it says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who grieve, because you have an opportunity to experience the comforter, the presence of God that Jesus said he would send after he went back to heaven. The point being, okay, God gave us our emotions. When he made you, he created you with the mental capacity to experience these, motion, these emotions. If they're managed correctly, we have the ability to experience him through our emotions. So blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus said, I will go and send you the comforter. So when I mourn, in my grief, in my emotions, I have the opportunity to experience the power, the peace, and the presence of God's Holy Spirit. In our earthly perspective, we want to push away from that because that feels a little bit backwards than how heaven sees things. A lot of psychologists um, will say that there's four basic emotions that we as humans experience. The University of Glasgow kind of published them and 
kind of put it in publication. So there's four emotions that we experience, happiness, sadness, fear, surprise, anger, disgust. What's interesting is they said there's four basic emotions, but they put six words on the list, right? So like, ah, you ain't fooling nobody, right? So another psychologist, a guy by the name of Paul Ekman, he's an American psychologist, been a, a professor, and he's really known for his work on nonverbal expression of emotions, which means our body language, how we express emotions without using our words, specifically facial expressions. He did a lot of study on how the, our, our face expresses our emotions. Some of us are, are pretty good at hiding our emotions. The vast majority of us, like, we don't hide it so well, you know what I'm saying? So he did a lot of work on that. And he, in his writings, he, he contends that there's six words that kind of the basic human emotions. And so there's happiness, sadness, fear, anger, surprise, and disgust. So he kind of took that other list and just let's call six, six, not four. I want to point out of those six words that are up there, only one of those is kind of a, an emotion we would like to enjoy on the daily. You know what I'm saying? Like, ha- there, there's, there's six words. One of them we would consider positive emotion, but I'll be honest with you, I'd like to kind of go the day without sadness. I'd kind of like to go today without disgust, Right? So there's one positive emotion. Maybe surprise can be a good thing or what have you, but the majority of those emotions are things that, that we kind of prefer not to have to experience on a daily basis. There's another American psychologist by the name of Robert Pluchik, okay? He's a psychologist, a professor. And he says emotions, are, they're, they're a little more complicated than just four basic emotions. Like, he says emotions are kind of like colors. They're, they're a mixture of emotions. And so there's a color wheel well, he also developed that there's an emotional wheel, if you, if you will, okay? So you can have fear, anger, and disgust in the same moment, and those emotions may join together to come out as anger, okay? Or hate. Emotional struggles are, are not new. I know we have COVID, and, and that brought a little bit of a spike to the mental health awareness in our culture today, and, and we talk a lot about just the escalating emotional health crisis in, in America or around the globe, but emotional health concerns and issues are not new. The Bible is full of stories of people, of what they wrestled with and how they wrestled with it. For example, the Old, Prof, Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, great example. Um, like he wrestled, through his writings, we kind of conclude he wrestled a lot with depression. He saw the world through a heavy lens. He saw the world just kind of from the weight of the world on his shoulders. Matter of fact, one, he wrote two books, Jeremiah, which is in the Old Testament, and the book of Lamentations, Lament, right? It's basically a funeral book, if you will. And that's just Jeremiah. He just saw the, he saw the sin of the world. He saw the sin and the consequences of the nation of Israel and, and the choices they were making. And so he literally just saw the world as heavy. David dealt with despair. Like, just read the Psalms. And many times he just, like, He's in despair, right? But he still cries out to God. Job dealt with grief. The the book of Job, he has to have this massive funeral for all of his children the same day because he lost all of his kids. Martha in the Gospels, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Martha dealt with anxiety. She kind of snaps at Jesus one day because no one was helping her. She had all this stuff that was just weighing on her. She dealt with anxiety. Moses, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt in slavery, Moses had chronic fatigue. At one point, he is so physically, emotionally, mentally exhausted. He's like, God, you're going to have to kill me or kill them, but somebody got to have some relief. 
And so Moses wrestled with chronic fatigue. And then you have Noah, who saved humanity through his obedience to God. God said, Noah, I'm going to destroy humanity. I need you to build a boat. He could have said, what? Nope, I need you to build an ark. And so Noah saved humanity. On the other side of that, he's left with survivor's guilt. I mean, just imagine getting out of the ark with all these animals that you had with you and just seeing the death and the destruction of what this planet was like. And so Noah went through this massive traumatic event, so much so that he self-medicates. Substance abuse shows up on the scene. Noah becomes an alcoholic to deal with his survivor's guilt and his trauma. So mental health issues are not new just because we talk about it more or because we have the data and researchers and all that. The Bible is full of stories of people and their struggle and their issues and how they dealt with it. Here's the truth. Every emotion that we have, whether it's on the positive side or on the negative, every emotion we have, God gave you that emotion. God gave you the ability to experience that emotion. So take fear, for example. Fear can be a really good thing. Fear is what keeps your kids from playing in the road. Fear, fear is what, I mean, it, it, it keeps us from, you know, doing stupid, keeps some of us from doing stupid things. <laughs> but if fear, if I, if I don't have the tools and the maturity to keep it in check, then it can turn into a spirit of fear, which is not a good thing. But God gave me the emotion of fear as a protection element in my life. Okay, every emotion we have, good, bad, God wired you that way. Let me, let me show you, Psalm 139, verse 13. It said, he's speaking to God, God, you made me. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, including my emotions. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. I've got these five sticks that stick out on the end of a limb that I can make them do that. God did that. I mean, God, you made me wonderfully, fearfully, and wonderfully made. You are not a mistake. You're not jacked up. You are God's masterpiece. I'll get to that part in just a moment. Your workmanship is marvelous. You know it well. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the darkness of my mother's womb. You saw me before I was born. Matter of fact, every day of my life has been recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had ever passed, meaning God made you, he built you, he gave you your emotions, he had a purpose, a plan. Every day of your life, God could see it before you were born. Ephesians 2 has a New Testament way of basically saying the same thing, that we are God's masterpiece. You are not a mistake. You're not broken. You're not jacked up. You are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. For those of us that have given our life to Christ, he is creating, he has created and making us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good that he planned before I was ever born. God has a purpose, a plan, a destiny. No matter where you've been, no matter how bad it's been, God has a plan, purpose, and good things for your life. Amen, everybody. Genesis 127 says that we are created in his image. So if God made us those, all of those wonderfully complex and those intricate details, he gave us these emotions that we experience. Sometimes that's good, like happiness and joy and contentment and peace. But sometimes those emotions, I would rather not experience them. Disgust, I'm good. 
but the emotions we have are from God so that we can experience the full measure, if you will, the full context of life. I had a counselor friend of mine describe our emotions as salsa. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we just said that blessed are they that mourn, for you will be comforted. It's no mistake that Jesus said, when I leave, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, is going to come. So when I mourn and grieve, I have an opportunity to experience the powerful presence of God in my life. Many times it is, catch this, many times it is through our emotions that we experience God and his goodness. So I know Izokis, right? <laughs> we crack a lot of jokes about our weather here in Oklahoma. You know what I'm saying? Like you can wake up and it can be cold outside and you put the hoodie on and by noon you're sweating bullets, right? I mean, it can just... It can be extreme. It can be a beautiful sunny morning, have a little mid-afternoon thunderstorm come through, and then have this nice, peaceful evening and sun. You can experience three seasons in one day in the great state of Oklahoma. Mark Twain, he wasn't talking about Oklahoma, but he said, if you don't like the weather, just wait a little bit. It's going to change. That's Oklahoma, right? And the truth is, there's a lot of things you can't do on rainy days. But the rainy days are what make us grateful for sunshine. So when I lived in Louisiana years ago, um, I, I had, I mean, been from Oklahoma, there's storms and tornadoes and all that type of stuff, but they have like hurricanes and tropical storms. Well, I lived through a tropical storm. Never really got severe, but, but it just rained for 21 straight days. Like, we did not see the sunshine for 21 straight days. The house that I lived in had a swamp. That swamp just kept getting closer to my house and <laughs> just getting closer to my house. My gosh, oh, ain't been no gators in that thing, you know. Scoot them a little bit. Right? Finally, when that sun came out, I remember we were, I was working on a radio station. We were in the office and we saw, we all went outside because it had been 21 days since we had seen the sunlight the rainy days give us context to appreciate the sunshine. I don't like winter. I turn into a grumpy old goat in the winter. You know, they say that opposites attract. They get married, then opposites attack. Like Jerry can't stand the summer, and I can't stand the winter. So we only like each other two seasons out of the year. <laughs> but the hot, hot sun, summertime, kind of helps you appreciate a nice, cool fall evening. Our emotions are the same way. Sadness helps us to appreciate joy and happiness. Anxiety and worry, they give context to peace and contentment. You appreciate seasons of peace because you've been through moments of anxiety and worry. God gave us emotions for a multitude of reasons but so that we can experience all of life. The problem is when we... We fail to control our emotions, or we don't have the maturity to control our emotions. We don't have the right tools to keep those things in check. It can get pretty frustrating. It can get pretty frustrating for us as individuals, but it can get frustrating for the people around us and how our lives, our actions, our emotions impact them. That's a good place to say, man, just don't. You know what I'm saying? Because the person you're sitting next to, you might just say, amen. You know, no, 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 this is a good time to eyes forward, no elbows. Poor Jerry, she has to hear these sermons like three or four times. So this morning as we're driving in, 
I'm, I'm nervous about it, and so kind of a nervous talker, so I'm just talking, 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 talking. Um, and I was just trying to explain to her, like, mental health conditions, there's, there's two ways we get here. Like, there's two types of, of conditions, and I was just trying to explain that to her, and she said it made sense. So the, the first type is it's physical. Like, it's genetic. We're born with it. You know what I'm saying? You, you inherited it. I'm just wired this way. Maybe, maybe you have depression and so did your mom and so did your grandma or maybe it came through your dad's side or, or, or whatever that is. You just in your life, you were wired to have a bend towards that emotion, okay? Jeremiah, by all the accounts that we have, he was a prophet. Most likely, he just saw the world heavy. He was just that personality, that temperament. He just lamented over life, okay? So that sometimes that can come through your personality type or, or just how we're wired is what really builds our, our personality type. Maybe it can be a chemical imbalance. Maybe it can be genetic uh, traits. We inherited it, okay? And, and so some mental health concerns, some mental health issues that are inherited, but it doesn't mean they're incurable. Like we can control those. We, we can get to a place even though I inherited, I got it from somebody, doesn't mean I have to keep it, okay? So some people are just wired that way, which means you might have a little bit extra work to do, okay? Some people are tall and skinny. It's not fair. Like, they can eat whatever they want to, and then the rest of us, like, it's just not fair, right? We just have a little extra work to do, okay? So the first type is it's, it's physical. It's, it's genetic. I inherited, but it, it doesn't mean it's incurable. The other type is circumstantial, meaning the mental health struggle that we may be wrestling with, the issue we may be wrestling with, something has happened or something is happening. There's a circumstance that has created the situation that I'm in. It could be an event, it could be trauma, situation. Something has put your mind and emotions in the state where we have some work to do. This would be Noah. By all accounts, what we understand of Noah, he was a holy, faithful man, obeyed God. God said, build a boat. Okay, he went and built a boat. But after the trauma of the flood, the survivor's guilt, the, the trauma of the devastation that he experienced, he dealt with grief, he dealt with guilt, he eventually turned into a, a substance abuse. I mean, he became a drunk, okay? So his was circumstantial. Something happened that trigger that. So no matter how I get here, whether it's physical, I'm, I'm wired that way, or it's circumstantial, something happened to me, we, we have some work to do. And the Bible gives us ample stories of individuals. And I've already listed some off, but there's plenty more. But it also gives us some incredible tools, some, some biblical principles, some theological thoughts to help us overcome those circumstances. Amen? So I want to walk you through some of those, and I just I want to just kind of get practical. If you were to come in and sit in my office and just say, man, my anxiety is just, it's getting me, or man, I just struggle sometimes with depression, or whatever that mental health issue may be, I, these are the things I would sit down and just have a counseling session with. And I don't have any initials behind my name. The only initials I have behind my name are PhD, Pulse Hole Digger, because I'm a redneck and grew up building fence, okay? Where'd you go to seminary? The School of Hard Knocks. That's what you're getting today. All right, so, so the first thought, you got to recognize it is okay to not be okay. There's a long list of people in the Bible 
that had issues from time to time, or maybe they genetically inherited them, potentially like Jeremiah, okay? Long people that wrestled with depression, anxiety, worry, other emotional issues. And quite frankly, there's a long list of people in this room who have or do wrestle with emotional issues. The point being, you are not alone. But the enemy wants to think you are. I mean, he wants you to think you are. And so I'd say, it's okay to not be okay. To have a struggle or wrestle or, or a tough season, it doesn't mean you're weird. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you're jacked up. It means you are a human with God-given emotions that those emotions potentially have got the best of you from time to time. This is why that social media has compounded our mental health issues in our modern age. This, this, is, this, is, this is how this plays out. This is what happened. We're having a bad day. We're just having a day. And we thumb through Instagram or social media or whatever, and we see all those selfies and all those smiles and all those people that are on vacation, and I can't afford a vacation, and, and all these people, all the, they're experiencing that one good emotion, that happiness, and you've got the grief, sadness, disgust. You've got all the other five bad emotions in one hour. And, and all you see on social media is their highlight reels, and I'm over here struggling it out. And the enemy wants to drag you into isolation. And here's what he tells you. You're the only one. You're the only one. Huh. Look at them smiling. Man, God must really love them. He must be angry with you. What'd you do? God has, oh my, that God has blessed them. It's just you. It's just you that has the issues. You're the only one that can't manage your money well. You're the only one that struggles with that. That's why you can't go on vacation. You're the only one that, I mean, look how happy that couple is on Instagram. They're both smiling. Their kids are behaving Look at yours. I don't even have clothes on right now. Talking about the kids, just to clarify. <laughs> like, you're the only one that has marriage issues. You're the only one. Look, how, look at them smiling, and here you are. Just, you're depressed. You're weird. You're broken. You're not okay. Those are lies of the enemy. It's a lie. The truth is you are not alone. And it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to have bad days. It's okay to not be okay. However, it is not okay to stay that way. God, through his word, through his wisdom, through his counsel, through his people, he offers you advice, counsel, wisdom, tools, a church, brothers and sisters of Christ. He offers all that to help you heal. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Don't give this to your kids. Don't do this to your grandbabies. Don't put your family through the ups and downs of your unhealed heart. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. So, leads me to point number two. God wants to heal you. God heals I help. God heals, meaning I have to help myself, okay? And God can, God could just be healed. He could. Like, he had that, but Jesus would do that. People that struggle, 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 and he would, like, put mud in their eye, and boom, they were healed. And, and people might pray, and, and God could heal your emotions. He could fix your depression. He could, 
I'm just telling you, I haven't seen that. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not limiting my theology. I'm not limiting what I think about God based on what I have experienced or haven't experienced. I believe God fully could heal you. I just think God heals. He wants us to help. He wants us to engage in that process. He wants us to come to the end of ourselves, us to come to a place of desperation that, God, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I'll do whatever you say because I don't want to do this anymore. Otherwise, the next time a circumstance comes along that might cause some trouble, you just go jumping right on into it. The next time a train wreck of a relationship dangles itself right out there in front of you, <laughs> God fixed the last one. I'll just jump right into this thing too. Boom. We have to learn through our healing process. So God heals, but I have to help myself. Meaning, people who've been through things circumstantially, like what Noah went through, or people that are just wired that way, like Jeremiah, they have to become desperate enough to put the work in. Healed people have put the work in. There's, there's people that you don't even realize. People would tell their story. You'd be like, how did you overcome all that? Because God healed, they helped. They, they put the work in. They were willing to go there. They were willing to, to deal with stuff. They were willing to dig up stuff that had been suppressed for decades. They were willing to deal with their emotions so their emotions would stop dealing in misery. Healed people have put the work in. And the reason why I say that, for some of you, it's time. It, it's, it's time. It's time to take your next step. It, it's, it's time to put the work in. You've heard the old cliche that time heals all wounds. That's not true. We all know folks who were wounded, hurt, something happened, trauma happened decades ago, and they are still not healed. Matter of fact, they're even worse because that pain turned into bitterness. That bitterness turned into resentment. At one point, they were just mad at the person that hurt them, but because that bitterness has been allowed to resent, they're mad at everybody. And time doesn't heal all wounds. If that were true, they would be healed. But through all this time, they're not healed. The reality is God heals all wounds, and sometimes he uses time to do it. God heals, we help meaning you got to want it. We, we can, we, hey, would, would you, would, I'm depressed again, would you pray for me? Yes. Are you praying for yourself? Hey, going through a hard time, will you? Yes, but are you helping yourself? It's, it's so easy to let other people carry our burdens, and we'll get to that in a moment, but God heals. I have to come to a plate of desperation where I'm saying, God, I'll do whatever you ask me because I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Everybody say amen. Number three, I got some work to do, and so I can't go it alone. One of the things the enemy loves to do is pull you into isolation. He loves to pull you into isolation. Pain pushes us towards isolation. Someone abused you, someone hurt you, someone did something to you. I don't ever want to feel anything like that ever again, so I can't ever trust anyone again. So the safest thing for me to do is just pull myself into isolation. And the scripture is clear, you can't hear, you can't, you, you won't heal in isolation. You have to have some help. Let me show it to you, James 5.16. Here's just a couple of verses. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. That could be the flu, that could be the common cold, but that is an emotional, spiritual healing that James is going after. 
The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Here's how this works. Here's how this biblical principle plays out in our lives, if we use it, okay? You go through a trauma, rape, molested, abused, death, grief, loss, the unthinkable, right? You go through a circumstance, a thing, and the enemy will use that thing to hold you in bondage and unproductive as long as he can. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about fiery darts. Those are negative thoughts. Those are lies of the enemy. And he will throw fiery darts at that pain and fiery darts at that pain and fiery darts at that pain, right? And so we start to feel shame about something that was never our fault in the first place. We start to feel guilt many times about something that that someone took something from me or from us and we feel guilt and shame. If people really knew what happened to me, they would reject me. If people really knew how bad that was, they wouldn't love me. They, they, They wouldn't have anything to do with me. They wouldn't like me. All of those are fiery darts. They're lies coming from the enemy, creating a prison that says, I can't tell anyone because they won't understand and they won't love me. All the while, you have this powerful principle of confession laying right there in the scripture for us. It is the key that opens the door of that prison and allows you on this journey of healing. Here's what happens. Once you can say it out of your mouth, you debunk all the lies that the enemy's been feeding you. Once you can confess it out of your mouth that this thing happened, the enemy's been telling you, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. If you tell them, they won't love you, they'll reject you, they won't understand you. And once you do that, you prove that the enemy's fiery darts are nothing but lies that are holding me in prison. And he loses that power over you. And now, well, I did tell somebody. <laughs> and they still love me. Matter of fact, They hurt with me. Matter of fact, they've been praying for me. The second part of that verse was that it's no coincidence to confess your sins that you may be healed. By the way, the earnest prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Now I've got somebody specifically knowing how to pray for me on my journey of healing. But part of that is you you can't go it alone. We need people to walk through this. There's just days you may not have the energy to carry yourself. You need some faith, people speaking hope and life in Jesus into your life. Galatians 6.2, share each other's burdens in this. You are obeying the law of Christ. We are called as brothers and sisters to lift one another up. I don't have it on the screen, but Hebrews 10.24 says, don't stop meeting together, meaning don't live in isolation. Keep going to church. Keep getting in a small group. Get around some faith-filled people that are going to preach hope and life and encouragement to you and encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. Amen, everybody? You may not have the strength to fight today, but you need to have a circle of people around you that will lift you up in prayer to give you the strength to keep fighting. Number four. The big one. Everybody say, I love BK. Because this one, you, some of you, not, you're, gonna, you're not going to like this. It's all good. We love each other. Forgiveness is key. It is paramount for our maturity and growth as Christians. I don't even know what that was. What's going on? Y'all didn't see it. Something just came flying out of my pocket over here. Anybody that's ADD over here, I apologize. Let me back up. Number four. <laughs> right? 
Forgiveness is key. It is paramount to our growth as Christians. Christ can, you go look in the New Testament, it is full of forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Forgive, Jesus saying, as I have forgiven you. Like it is paramount on our maturity and growth as Christians that we learn how to be forgivers. Forgiveness is key to your healing. Unforgiveness turns into bitterness. Bitterness turns into resentment. And people go unhealed for decades because they made a decision years ago that they could not forgive the person that imposed that pain upon them. Now they're paying the price, and everybody around them is too. Let me show you a couple of verses. Proverbs 17, 9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. But dwelling on it creates isolation. Like unforgiveness will pull you into isolation. Matthew 5, 7, in this very Sermon on the Mount that we've been talking about, Jesus said, blessed are they. God blesses those who are merciful. But let's be real. We've all needed mercy at some point in our life. Some of us need a little more. There's some areas I need to forgive. Number one, I need to forgive those who hurt me. This is the hard one because someone did something to you. Someone said something about you. Someone hurt you. Someone wounded you. Someone did something unthinkable. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and so we can say, yeah, 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 I forgive them. I just don't ever want to deal with them again. And in many situations, listen, forgiveness is not forgetting. And I could preach a four-part series on, on forgiveness and how-to and all that. That's not the point of what I'm saying. But we have got to start that process of how do I forgive that person that hurt me? If you fail to release your heart of that pain that they caused on you, it does not go well. That's why the New Testament is full of forgive, 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 forgive. And this is so hard to find the strength to forgive, but so much of our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity is attached to this principle of forgiveness. I need to forgive myself, not everyone in here, but some of us really struggle with some of the stupid decisions we've made in our life, some of the bad relationships we've been in. You just come to the point you cannot get over your past. You can't get over your shame. Like, you kind of accept that God forgives you. You just can't forgive yourself. You can't learn to release yourself of the mistakes you made 15, 20 years ago. My advice to you would be to memorize Philippians 3, 13 and 14. This one thing I do, I forget the past, I forget what lays behind, and I press on towards the high calling of Christ Jesus that's in me. I release the past, and I push on to what Jesus has for me. And then thirdly, there's some of us that need to forgive God. Let me be clear, I'm not saying that God has caused harm or God has wronged anyone, but some of us have been through things and, and it feels like God was not there. God, why did they die? God, why did you take them? Why did you let that happen to me? Where were you when I needed you the most? We love him, we worship him. It even feels a little bit unspiritual to say this, like I need to forgive God, but your heart needs to find peace with God. I'm saying that some of us have a resentment towards God, and we need to let that go. Number five, 
We need to use positive things that help. Good news is God wants to heal you. I, I got to jump in and help. And he gives us tools, counseling, wisdom, people, the church, resources, his word. He uses all these things to help us, but I got to put the word in. I got to put the work in, okay? So a couple of things would, that would help would be like feed my faith. Everything you do either feeds your flesh or feeds your faith. God's ways work. I've got to get them in me. Just a moment ago, I talked about memorizing Philippians 3. Some of you need to memorize parts of the Bible. You need to just get your life full of the Word of God. You need to get it full of Jesus. You need to be full. Like every time the church is open, you just need to be there. You need to saturate your pain with the things of God because God's ways work every time. I mean, one of Jerry's contributions to my sermon was just talking about you just have to make declarations over the things in your life. And the only way you can declare healing and declare moving forward is if you have that in you. And so many times we'll text somebody, hey, can you pray for me? But I can't even find the strength to get up to go to church. Man, listen, church is here so we can worship for a moment. Let all that stress melt off of us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word. I need to sit here and I need to let the word of God build faith on me so I can find the strength, take my next step in my healing process. Somebody ought to say amen. So I need to feed my faith. And secondly, medication has its moments. And this is energized. There's opinions about medication, right? But I'm just telling you, if somebody goes through a traumatic accident, like a car wreck or something, there are certain situations where they will put their body in a coma. So they, they, they shut their mind down, if you will. They put their mind in a sleep state so their physical body can heal. Sometimes you need medication just to, to kind of let your mind rest long enough so your heart can heal, okay? Doesn't mean you have to be on medication for your life, but, but maybe medication will almost just let your mind rest long enough so your heart can, can find some productivity and your heart can, can do some healing. So sometimes medication has its moments. And then I talked a little bit about this last week, counseling from a biblical worldview. And I don't want to rehash on this. And, and again, coming out of the pandemic, it's like there's 350 people to one mental health care provider. So the system is somewhat overwhelmed. But we constantly work with great Christian people. I met two new counselors on Thursday, and I said, listen, I need to know about your relationship with Jesus. Before I ever send somebody, I need to know that you see the world the way that we see it, through that Jesus Christ is king and his word is true and unfailing. You see it that way? Yeah, we see it. Okay, then we can have a relationship here. Sometimes we need counseling, and we need to push away from, I don't need no shrink. Listen, you go to the doctor for weight loss, why don't you go to the doctor for some of this emotional weight to be lost? Okay? Lastly, I'll say this. Be productive when the pain allows. Be productive when the pain allows. I know that I'm a redneck, y'all. I'm, I'm good with that, kind of like it. My brother, a couple of days this summer, uh, he bailed a lot of hay. And he texted me one day, he's like, hey, can you help me bail hay? And I said, absolutely, I can. That's the way you say it in Talala, absolutely. Okay. And so, man, I, I was out there driving an air-conditioned tractor. I don't want you to think I was suffering or anything. And I was out there, you know, taking selfies and, you know. When I say make hay while the sun is shining, some of you are like, I have no idea what that means. Why does my pastor have to be a redneck? I don't, you know what I'm saying? So here, let me explain hay bailing right? 
There's no G in hay baling. It's hay baling. You, so we take this mower, and it literally takes the tall prairie grass, and it just lays it over flat, okay? And then it just has to cure. And honestly, the hotter it is, the better it cures, the faster it cures. And that lay, that hay, if you mow it in the morning, it might be ready by 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Sometimes it needs a whole day to cure. It just depends on kind of humidity and weather temperature, stuff like that. But you don't bale that grass while it's wet. It'll mold, it'll mildew, it'll sour. You only bale the hay when the sun is shining so that it will cure, it'll fix, it'll, it'll do the right stuff, if that makes sense. So the principle is you do the work when things are good. You make hay when the sun is shining. Meaning, I have to do good things on good days. I'm going to struggle sometimes. I'm going to have depressed days or whatever, but I'm going to have a good day, and on that good day, I'm going to do good things. Like, I'm going to read something that might help me. I'm going to take one step, like maybe call a counselor, or I'm going to have a conversation with a friend so somebody else can bear up this burden with me. On my good days, I'm going to do good things so I can get better. Because tomorrow, I, it might take everything I have just to get out of bed. So if I've got sunshine today, I'm going to make hay. I'm going to run as hard and fast as I can on the good days. I know, I know some of you are thinking, preacher, this sounds really simple. You get up there and tell some redneckisms. And, but at 2 o'clock in the morning, when the depression is so deep and the thoughts are so negative and so dark, it's suffocating it's not it's not so simple and i wish there was a way that i could just say a simple prayer almost like a tonic take two of these and and, and you're all better but the reality is god wants you to be healed and whole but he's got some stuff he wants to teach you in the process because somewhere in your journey when you are healed and whole he wants to use you to help somebody else God wants to walk you through this so that you might know him more. Remember that whole thing? That God gave me these emotions. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus said, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit so he can comfort you. Blessed are those who mourn so they can experience the power and presence of God. God wants to walk you through this so that you might know him more. You can experience the power and the presence of God through the emotions that he gave us. He wants you to know him more. He wants you to know him more. God, all across this room, Lord, there may be folks in here that just wrestling. Father, this just hits on so many nerves. Even some of these things, we talked about the work to do. There's just such a no, I can't. I can't tell somebody. I can't do that. Lord, there's just such a pushing back on that because we believe the fiery darts, the lies of the enemy for so long. And I believe today, is the first day of a good day that my faith is going to rise. We've sat under the preaching of the word and faith is being built. Hope is being spoken so that we can just take one step towards our healing. God, I believe today that you're healing. I would love that it just be instantaneously in a moment. But Lord, even if we just move 1%, we're better today than we were yesterday. Lord, you're healing hearts. You're bringing breakthrough. You're giving hope. You're building faith. God, I believe today is the first day somebody says, 
I know I need to do the work. I'm tired of being sick and tired. I'm desperate. And God, I want to help you. I want to know you. And maybe you're here today and you are not in right relationship with Christ. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you have, but years ago, through your stupid decisions or whatever, you walked away. Today, he's calling and inviting and begging you to come into relationship. Here's the gospel is plain, pure, and simple, that while we were all stuck in our sin and our mistakes, Jesus Christ came and shed his blood. Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He said, I will shed my blood so that you can be forgiven of your sins. Romans said, if I'd confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in my heart, God raised him from the dead, I would, will be saved. I want to help you right now in this moment confess and believe. All across this room with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, you know that you're not in right relationship with God. I invite you just to pray this prayer with me. Right there. The Holy Spirit's just pulling you in. Just, just pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father. Just go ahead and say it. Dear Heavenly Father. Come to you today because I need you. I've made so many mistakes. I'm stuck. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you save me? Make me a new person. I don't want that old life anymore. Today, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. I'm not gonna embarrass you. You don't have to walk the aisle. You don't talk to me. I'm gonna pray for you. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer with me word for word, just slip up your hand real high. Just me, just slip it up real high. I wanna pray for you. Anybody here today? Okay. Anybody else? Slip it up real high. God, you see the hands. You see the hearts today realizing, Lord, there's a void in their life and and only you can fill it. And they said yes to that invitation of the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that in this moment, Father, you saved them, you forgave them, you changed their eternity. Lord, the enemy's gonna throw fiery darts at them. That didn't mean nothing. Lord, I just pray you lock and seal this moment. Father, bring good Christians around them to, to help them take their next step. Father, help them get connected to a church. We'd love to have them here, but if, if someplace gets better, we want them connected to brothers and sisters in Christ that will help them to grow. God, I love the fact that your spirit is calling and begging people into relationship, and we just get to be a part of the work of the kingdom. Lord, today I pray for those in here that may be struggling with emotional issues and mental health. Father, we believe that you're healing, and there's a work in progress. Better days are coming. Hope-filled days faith are coming. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the give now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.